This is the Animation Network. With this podcast, you get to tune in every week to hear top industry professionals in my network discussing network animation. Our goal here is to bring you effective tips, tricks, secrets, and practices for breaking into and navigating through the current landscape of TV animation. I'm your host, Chris Wimberly. Thanks for tuning into the network today. We are back, networkers. This is episode 99 of the Animation Network, and it is the last interview of this podcast. As I promised, there will be 100 episodes, so there's one more that I'm releasing in conjunction with this episode uh, to hit that glorious 100-episode mark. But for this one, I couldn't have asked for a better way to finish off this amazing collection of interviews that this podcast has provided for you all. Um, On that note, thank you for your patience as we've been working hard to end the animation network smoothly and in a satisfying way. Um, In fact, we're over 70,000 downloads for these 98 episodes of the podcast, which means we really must have done something right. So thanks for listening. Um, Really can't thank you enough. Um, And real quick, uh, I've been getting lots of emails about access to the entire archive of the uh, podcast, so be sure that you go to theanimationnetwork.org slash podcast, and you will find all the episodes going back to episode one. Um, However, I will be compiling all 100 episodes into one downloadable file for you to own. So be sure to keep an eye out on the Facebook page and Twitter page uh, to find out more info about how to get access to that. Um, But for now, please enjoy this tremendous episode featuring the extremely talented animator, story artist, and director, Rob Pratt. Now I'm ready to go. All right. Well, then I'm ready too. I can't believe this is finally the last last interview, and it's you. Wow. Of yeah. all people, I'm, I'm really <laughs> excited about this. I'm very honored. Uh, well, I'm very honored to have you because uh, I'm very aware of your um, experience in the industry, and I felt like it'd be very valuable to have you. Oh, on thank the show. you. Thank yeah. you. So um, I think we should start where. I usually start, which is, uh, can you introduce yourself? I'm Rob Pratt. I'm a Disney veteran. I've been with Disney for over 20 years. I'm directing um, Elena of Avalor, but I got my start in traditional animation way back on Pocahontas. Um, And then I do my own fan films uh, because I love animation so much. So please check out Superman Classic, Flash Gordon Classic, and even more on my my YouTube channel, uh, Rob Pratt, where 2D animation is not dead. (laughs) Wow, that is... You sound like a radio show host. Oh. Yeah, it's, <laughs> that was nice and clean. I like that. Thanks. That was good. Um, yeah, so uh, the one thing I don't think I've updated many of my listeners on yet is um, we actually are currently on the same show now. Um, yeah. I am here on Elena of Avalor. It's wonderful with, having with you. you. Oh, thanks. I was really excited when uh, when the call came in because, uh, you know, I, I was here when you guys first staffed up uh, yeah. back, like, three years ago or whenever it was yeah like three or four years ago yeah. and um you know it was such a great looking show and it's done a lot of amazing things so thank uh, you and we tried to get you earlier and somehow yeah. timing didn't work out and we missed yeah. you so it was good to get another chance and get uh, you thank you that's yeah. i really appreciate it um awesome so 
You had mentioned um, that you do have some history in 2D animation, so I kind of want to uncover that background a little bit. So if you can give kind of just like a brief bio, a brief history lesson of how you came up through those ranks and to where you are. Yeah, I feel very fortunate. I was, at a young age, knew I wanted to do this. I grew up on Looney Tunes and the Fleischer Popeyes, and even though they weren't doing those at the time I was uh, a little kid, I didn't know better, and I, I just, that's what I wanted to do. And I remember at six years old in kindergarten, telling everybody, when I grow up, I'm going to be an animator for Walt Disney. So I was very focused, uh, loved animation. That's where I was lucky. Um, and then I, I grew up in poverty. I had a single mom who um, suffered from mental illness. So we oh, wow. were raised um, you know, on welfare. And mm -hmm. so going to a really great school was not um, an option for me. Mm -hmm. But again, I was very lucky because I was born and raised in North Hollywood. And the union wow. headquarters, uh, for, for folks who don't know, cartoonists are union are unionized they have been since the 40s and the headquarters were right in north hollywood and they give classes at night and you're not accredited you're not going to get a, a degree or diploma but yeah. you're learning from people that work in the industry during the day they want to make a few extra bucks so they teach a class at night and i took storyboarding classes and in between classes and again, just being lucky, Disney was going through a boom. They had three you know, massive hits in a row with, with Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and Lion King. So they were looking to expand production and, and make you know, two movies at a time and piggyback them, mm -hmm. meaning they needed a whole second crew mm -hmm. right when I was learning this. And one of my animation teachers was Ruben Aquino, who wow. had animated Ursula, the, the yeah. Sea Witch. Yeah. And so not only you're taking these classes and learning from industry pros, but you can also your kind of ears to the uh, uh, the train tracks. You can hear like what's coming up. Mm -hmm. And Ruben was working on Lion King at the time I was taking these classes and saying they were gearing up on Pocahontas. So I contacted the studio and, and um, I had gotten some freelance work just from friends, probably other friends that took union classes. And I was doing some in-betweens on Thumbelina at, for Don Bluth. Wow. So I felt like, okay, I have something to show. I'll, I'll call Disney. And they said, all right, uh, we're looking for pe people, but we need you to take a test. And I was just a kid, and that intimidated me. And I said, well, I have stuff to show in my portfolio. I, I work for Don Bluth. Oh, no, we need to see if you're good enough for us. Yeah, right. And I got nervous, and I hung up the phone. And I, it took me another six months to call again. Oh, my gosh. And I blew it because I may, I may have gotten to work on Lion King. I missed it, you know. Oh, but I got man. hired for Pocahontas. And... I'll always remember that day, my first day at work going on that Disney studio lot, because not only it was such a huge achievement for anyone in my family to work at Disney, that was also the first day in my life I didn't consider myself poor anymore. Oh. So it was really a, a, a game-changing, life-turning uh, point in my life. That's amazing. Yeah. Holy cow. So I didn't know any of that about yeah. you. I mean, I knew some of your career milestones, but I didn't know uh, the background, which... Uh, I think knowing a lot of my audience, I think is going to resonate with a lot of people. And what's interesting about that, too, is, you know, I typically don't get into feature um, on this podcast, which is funny that on the very last episode here we are talking about feature. <laughs> um, and so I do want to kind of cover how you transitioned into TV. But um, what I what I like about what you're saying is um, typically with feature people, especially veterans of a certain time and before, it's like that way of getting in doesn't exist anymore. Right. Um, but I think elements of your story 
still resonate with people now about not being able to afford certain art schools, right? And there are ones that you know and I can think of off the top of our head in California where it's like, if you don't go there, you're not in, you know? Right. And, and, you know, I know people who like pound that pavement for years and apply and apply and apply, <clears throat> excuse me, and don't get in and they feel like it's over for them. Right. And here you are, and here I am. I went to a state school, you know, dirt cheap state school. Yeah. And um, yeah, and, and here here we are sitting at the same table. That's right. You know, having this conversation, so. And working on the um, same show. And working on the same show. Yeah. Uh, so um, so l- if we can real quick, um, I did wanna make the connect those dots. So how did you end up going from feature and then making your way into TV? Yeah, I wonder how history is gonna look at it. Um, it was very, very painful period in time for a lot of folks. And I'm guessing, you know, probably when Rubber Hose Animation went to more realism and, you know, Bambi and Deers were brought into the studio and, and people were now had, had to learn bone structure. And you had the older animators that just couldn't make the transition. and. You know, I, I gave it some thought, but now I give it a lot of thought. It must have been a, a painful experience for people to not work their way over. Because when I went through it, when 2D died, in, at least in, in Hollywood, it was extremely painful. You're talking about a job that everybody everybody I worked with, this is like a lifelong dream since they were a, a kid yeah. who grew up watching Disney classics like Pinocchio and Dumbo. And they, you finally make it. And it's glorious. It's like standing in the golden light of the sun. <laughs> when you're there, you feel like it's the pinnacle of animation. And to be given a title of Disney animator just seemed like being a Jedi Knight. It was just fantastic. So then for it to all kind of, you know, within a couple of years, crumble apart. You know, Toy Story came out. And I remember they, they screened it at work. And I walked out with a friend of mine. And he said, well, it looks like we're all going to be out of jobs soon. And and. I thought, well, no, it looks different enough, you know, maybe, maybe, um, you know, stop motion's dead, sure. but, but we look different and we'll be gone. But my, it proved my friend's uh, theory proved right. And, and within five years, hundreds of people were let go and it was really hard. And Disney did the great thing. I mean, it's a great company and they trained a lot of us on Maya. And then I had to make the decision, decision, um, am I going to like throw away 10, 15 years of drawing and just like learn this new thing and compete against kids that have grown up on the computer. Yeah. But my drawing is the way I market myself. So it was fun to do Maya and I, I, I love learning the principles of it and it's valuable to me, but it just ultimately, it wasn't for me. I wanted to keep drawing. And I let the Disney company know like, hey, I want to stick around. Can I go in the story department? But things get really, you get pigeonholed Mm-hmm. And I think everybody saw me as an animator, not knowing you don't know anything about story. And then you know, there's clicks too, where the story people are really tight with each other. And for whatever reason, they didn't select me to do it. So I kind of was forced out, um, and I had to fend for myself. And it was scary time because I had to completely reinvent. Well, not completely. It was still in animation, but to a, a certain degree, I had to reinvent myself. Yeah. But now I was ten years older. Now I had a wife and kids, um, a lot more pressure. Mm-hmm. So I started going into TV um, because there was just more job opportunities. Feature, you know, at the time there was DreamWorks and Disney. Sony was starting up. So you kind of had three places to go to if you wanted to stay in Los Angeles, which I did. Mm-hmm. But with television, there was a lot more opportunities. There's Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, you know, so on, and Disney and so on. So I thought I'll... I'll just get any boarding job I can. I know how to read a script and I know how to draw. 
So, you know, the first jobs are always like freelance little jobs, a page here, a page there. And it didn't really expose my lack of knowledge in cinematic language. Mm. And now that I've been doing it for 10 years, I realize there's more than just knowing how to draw and how to read a script. Mm -hmm. There's a whole cinematic language to learn. So when I finally got my first full-time job, it was at Nickelodeon, and I was on Danny Phantom, and I was struggling oh, wow. mightily. And reunion, so if you if you if it's not working out with an artist, you have to get like three written warnings before they're going to let you go. Mm -hmm. And they gave me one, and I had to meet with the producer. And the producer was like, "Rob, I know you're trying really hard. You're just not giving us what what we need." Mm -hmm. And I was staying till three in the morning every night trying to learn this new you know storyboarding thing. And um, but at Nickelodeon, you get a roommate. And again, you know, there's like bad luck in your career and there's good luck in your career. And the good luck was um, that this roommate shot Nigagosian mm -hmm. and he we were meeting right when I had my first notice. Hey, nice to meet you. I don't know how long we're going to be roommates. <laughs> I have this pink slip I just got. And yeah. um, he was great. He, he gave me tough love, looked at my boards, was very blunt at how bad I was. Mm -hmm. Um, and some people can take that and their tail goes between their legs and they run away. But I took it as like, no, I need this. I need to be told uh, where I'm struggling at. And it just became, you know, months and months of us. We, we love the same movies. I had a TV in our office. We would watch Superman, the movie and Indiana Jones. And um, we just really hit it off and we're friends to this day. And he just turned on a couple light bulbs for me about how you reveal information in your story, how you cut, how your screen direction should remain solid. And then I just watch all of my movies in a completely different way. Yeah. And felt I, and to be truthful, when I was struggling, I w was not passionate about boarding. I was passionate about animating. And I had always hoped that, well, maybe 2D will take kind of a, a be in a slump for a little bit and it'll come back. And I'll just do this until it comes back. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until all these light bulbs got turned on that I started, oh my God, that's how you can reveal something to the audience in an interesting way. Mm -hmm. Oh, I got to watch Raiders of the Lost Ark again and really study like how Spielberg like reveals information in it. And yeah. I just I got really super passionate about it. And then once that passion came, then my career took off. Then I returned to Disney, although this time in television. And um, I mean, within months, I was, you know, head of story on a show. Um, I was directing on a show, I think a year later. And I think that's the thing that I've come to learn is that people are inspired by passion when you mm -hmm. when you love something. Um, passionately, they'll kind of um, just, I, I guess, get inspired by it. Yeah. And that's when my um, career took a turn for, for the up. So I'll always be glad. You know, I, I was really down when the bad things happen. Mm -hmm. But then if you're patient and you're passionate and you're nice to people, you just, you know, good things will happen too. And I'm so fortunate that it, had I been 10 years older, I might have struggled making the transition like I've seen some of my fellow Disney animators struggle. But if I were 10 years younger, I probably would have never gotten a taste of being a Disney animator that rolled right. his drawings. Yeah. So I have one foot in, in that um, area and still one foot in the present. Yeah. So fortunate and so lucky. And um, I had a lot of sad feelings when 2D went down. I was down for a year or two. Um, but now when I look at it, you know, I'm very fortunate to have experienced it at all. Yeah, man. Yeah talk about being inspired i'm like sweating almost oh, from that. That, that's I'm glad like to hear that. amazing um and and so well illustrated like i feel like i'm watching a movie in fact i'm curious um at this time when you were uh transitioning out of animation 
Is that the same time that, um, oh, what's his name, did that uh, that documentary, Dream On, Silly Dreamer? Uh, it is that era. That is exactly, that era? yeah. Okay. And that's what yeah. he was kind of uh, trying to document. Yeah. Yeah, that I, pain. I, I that have that was... documentary. I yeah. have it. Yeah. Uh, wow. Okay, cool. And so the other thing I wanted to mention is um, I've lived a similar experience because I've also been in the industry now for 10 years. And when I came in, it was at the time where um, drawing digital was like the new thing. And I saw so many dudes who just were so frustrated with Photoshop. They couldn't, and this was before Storyboard Pro, right? They could not draw in Photoshop Mm. and they couldn't draw first on a tablet, remember? Like they couldn't draw on a tablet. So that weeded out the first like half of them. And then the second half, like, you know, barely, barely made it to the Cintiq. And I think they, some of them caught up, some of them figured it out because they saw the, you know, they read between the lines and they're like, okay, we need to figure this out or we're taking the way of the silly dreamer, right? Yeah. So um, that was really fascinating for me to watch and being, you know, that young buck coming in like, and I I know Photoshop, I know how to draw digitally. And um, that really obviously gave me a leg up on some of the people who were on their way out. Uh, and that was just, you know, watching some of your heroes, you know, TV animation heroes, you know, not cut the mustard. It's right. like it's painful to watch. Yeah. But and, you know, it's not because they don't know what they're doing. It's just because of that, that that one little leap that they just yeah. can't get past. And I think this, you know, same thing, like you're saying, Maya uh, kind of proved as the same hurdle yeah. in, that, in that area. Yeah. Um, so that's really interesting. And um and I like the story about you uh, coming up as a um, person who had to learn cinematic language because um, I don't know if we've gone over this, but I actually uh, teach storyboarding as well. Great. And um, that's the first thing I hammer, hammer, hammer into people is like you're you're learning a new language. It, this yeah. isn't like just uh, tell me when to cut or what you know how do I do this upshot or whatever because everybody wants to just dive in and like draw the model really nicely right. you know and and or draw their gags that they think are really funny but they lose so much because they haven't done the proper visual execution to set up that gag yeah. so that the audience can roll along with it and receive the information properly right right so um all of this stuff that you're saying is like i i almost wish that we were we were roommates because i would have taught you i'd be like come here rob let me show yeah. you let, let's do this thing you know? <laughs> that's great um but now i'm like what can you teach me? Because now that you're here as a... We've had a hundred years of film now and there's guys that have figured it all out. Why would we not try to stand on their shoulders and learn from them? And of course, you know, like there's rules and the rules are there and you can break them, but knowing the rules is when you can, then you know how to break them properly. Exactly. I I love Rocky. That movie Rocky is so great. Oh yeah. And it's so textbook by by the rules of how you set up a character and how you pay him off. And everything is textbook, textbook, textbook. It becomes predictable. You, you go into the movie and go, or you're watching the movie and halfway through you go, oh, I have this figured out. I'm watching the big underdog who is um, hungry and he's going to take on the jaded guy who doesn't deserve it anymore and the underdog's going to win. And because it plays by the rules so much, then that throws you that curveball at the end when he doesn't win the fight. And you're like, wait, wait, whoa, what a minute, wait a minute. I thought I knew what I was watching here. <laughs> yep. So that's a classic example of knowing the rules so you can then break it effectively to make an emotional response in your audience. Yeah, that's amazing. I have a couple examples that I love so much that um, we'll, ta- we'll talk about later because I don't want to like eat up our time doing this. But, um, but that's a really good one that I 
didn't think about and now I may incorporate that in my teaching in yeah my great that's good um, so the next question I have for you is uh, what do you think are two big differences that you've found um, between working in TV versus feature the the biggest difference is time and it's funny how you know my feature animation folks can look down their noses a little bit at us folks in TV but what they don't realize is the time is a killer and a lot of feature people can't do that transition into television because they can't work that fast TV mm -hmm. is so fast that is the biggest and I've seen people that are extremely talented in TV they would be a rock star in features um, but they have to we have to work fast so of course our product is not gonna maybe look as polished as a as a feature thing I also think because of that speed, I learned a lot faster because in feature, you might get a sequence and you have to work it over and over and over the same sequence for months. So mm -hmm. you're just um, solving that problem of that sequence for months. Whereas in television, you'll get a new episode every six weeks or so. And then you uh, maybe you want to polish it more. I always watch everything that I've worked on. And you look at it and you go, well, shoot, I could have done better on that one. Well. I learned something and I'll do better on the next one. And you learn, and then you get a whole new set of pro story problems to, to learn. So you're doing that over and over and over and over again. And I think it made me learn a lot faster. And there are things I like. You know, I, of course, if there was a middle ground, that'd be the greatest. But sometimes I like the pace of TV because when you work in features, you know, you always put your best foot forward, you, your best idea first. And then you can see with all the time, they'll talk, you know, there'll be story meeting after story meeting, you talk in circles and circles and circles and circles. And sometimes you come right back to where your first idea was. And it's <laughs> yeah. frustrating. Yeah. And in television, there's no time for that. You just go fast and you do your best idea first. Mm -hmm. And usually that that is your best idea. Um, I just wish then we had a little bit more time to polish it. Um, so if there was a middle ground, that would be fantastic. Um, th that's, that's the biggest difference really. Okay. So, um, I agree with a lot of that now that, um, so actually coming out of school, I knew I wanted to be in TV because I had known about that. Um, and now that, as you know, I, just before this, I was working on my first, uh, feature and everything that you said and everything that I assumed was absolutely true. <laughs> and I, it, it's not for me. <laughs> I'll just, yeah. I'll just put it that way. I'm like man, we have to draw this again. And not only that, but each one of us have tackled this thing, not because anyone is better than the next, it's just that it gets cycled around for people to like take a crack at it. And right. by the end of this thing, like they screen it and it's such a Frankenstein of drawings. You're like, yeah. I don't even know, like I think I drew that arm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Or just weird things, you know? It gets weird trying to make it a portfolio piece then. Cause yeah, exactly. you have little pieces in, in, in mixed in the soup. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So as a director on a show that on this show, particularly, that's like a kind of TV feature hybrid, which is something that I realize uh, everybody's very proud of on this show. Mm -hmm. um, what sorts of qualities do you look for in your board artists? Well, definitely. Um, it's funny when you go through the struggles, you can see artists when they're going through the same exact struggle. And it's a lot of it is just, you know, understanding the cinematic language of you know I'm very traditional 
Um, and I love old movies, so I watch a lot of my old movies. And I, you know, like I said earlier, I want to learn from the masters that taught me. And it's funny that 80s is such a big thing now because um, I grew up in the 80s and I love Spielberg movies and prime George Lucas movies. And everything is very traditional. Mm-hmm. And there's, um, you know, we've been conditioned to watch something a certain way because this, this medium is over 100 years old now. So there's certain expectations I think the audience has, and you never want to lose them. Even for a moment, you want them to enjoy the story. So I really love board artists that kind of already are keyed into that cinematic language and love movies and love traditional, especially on a Disney princess. We want to direct it very traditionally. So understanding that language and of, of screen direction, try to keep... If a character screen left of another character, then they should always be screen left until we see them move. Or a cut should be motivated by something. Why are we cutting? Or is the camera moving? The camera should be moving for a reason, not just randomly. Everything is very deliberate, and everything is to make uh, it easier. You're kind of filtering everything for the audience so they can just enjoy the experience. If you do a little bump or a weird cut, it doesn't, it doesn't sound like a big giant sin, but we're trying to get an emotional feeling from our audience as they're watching the story. And if they bump on something, we're, that's that fear of losing them. I don't want to lose my audience. I, I want to tell them the story as cleanly as possible mm-hmm. so they can um, really take in the experience and feel the emotion that we're trying to trying to put forth, trying to communicate. Mm-hmm. And it's communicating ideas. Are you always communicating the idea clearly um, for the story? And then so if I get artists that are going through the same struggle that I've gone through, I'm very sympathetic towards it. And I love talking about this stuff. And I love even kind of teaching it to a degree. Um, And I get very enthusiastic and passionate when I talk about it and how somebody else did it very effectively. How can we kind of take a movie scene that did it really well and maybe do our version of that? Um, So if even if they're a little bit behind or, or they're where I was when I was first struggling with it, I love talking it through and seeing if that if they are in, as just as passionate as I am and want to learn just the way I did. And can they take tough love like I took it and make it and be inspired by that and, and get even better? Or um, will that tough love kind of defeat them? And I know how that feels too. So somebody who like loves to learn and maybe is halfway there too, at least, if they're all the way there, that's the greatest. That makes it my, my uh, job easier. Right. But I've had board artists even here on Elena who came in and they boarded a completely completely different style because they had to adapt to it. Maybe a show that was very flat, flatly staged. And our show is very um, cinematic, so we want to play with depth. It's a mm-hmm. it's a CG show, mm-hmm. and just sitting with the board artist for you know an hour or two, going over their board and showing like how can we get depth in there? How can we make it more cinematic? And then you see the board artist immediately like on their next board they get it, and that's. Super fun. So somebody who's like willing to take direction and be inspired by it, um, those are really the qualities that I, I, I like work, uh, finding in a board artist to work with. Awesome. It's excellent. Also makes me feel intimidated. Oh. I, don't know, I don't know why, but I mean, and we're not even on the same team. But but I know so, the feeling. So. I You know, I joined Instagram recently, and you go through, and you look, and you see all this <laughs> art, and it's like, I wow, know. there's people out here that can draw like this, and I I'm know. the same as you. The first reaction is to feel intimidated. A gut check, yeah. Exactly. And then um, I, for me, I spend a day or two feeling like that, and then I come back inspired, and I want to like, oh, I want to draw an eye the way that artist drew the eye, or the hand the way they cheated the hand, and if they couldn't design, if they couldn't draw that hand in that forced perspective, they kind of designed their way out of it. I want to mm-hmm. do that. So yeah, my first gut instinct too is to feel intimidated at first, and then inspired after. Yeah, I think one of the greatest lessons that I taught myself uh, was. 
similarly, actually, to your story of uh, going into um, uh, boarding from animating is that when I came out of school, I wanted to be both a character designer and board artist. Character designer because at that time that was the rock star job, right? Because mm. there's always waves, right? Every five years the rock star job changes. It's like viz dev for a while, then it's character design for a while, then it's right. boards for a while. And so at that time it was character design and um, and I wanted to do boards for me because like, you know, growing up on like Looney Tunes and Tom and Jerry it was all gag driven and like I want to be that guy to like, yeah. make up the jokes. And so uh, I had two portfolios, and I showed a mentor of mine um, and asked him on the show that I was working on, or that I was interning on, uh, hey, like, can you take a look at these? And he was like, okay, so they're both good, you know, and as good as a student's artwork can be, you know. And he was like, excuse me, he was like, well, so here's, here's the news. The good news is over here, your character designs are pretty strong, actually. Like you, you seem like you could do this job with a little more grooming, whatever. Boards, on the other hand, are not quite there. You know, they're a little lagging here and there. And that is actually what I decided to do. I was like, well, if I can do characters, I'm going to put that down mm. and I'm going to go for the board thing because that's the tough love, like you were saying. Attack it. Yeah. yeah. And I, and here I am and I didn't even look back and I've been tested to do characters on shows, um, because you know, I can, I can design characters, but, um, yeah, like the, the, the challenge called me and I went after it and I, that's great. That's advice I give not only my fellow board artists, I've given my kids this advice where, when I was animating, I was terrified. Uh, I was just starting out, and you do, like, there's pose-to-pose animation where you kind of know it's going to hit this pose, and it's going to hit this pose, and then I put in-betweens. And then there's straight-ahead animation where you just kind of do one drawing at a time, and you roll your drawings, and there's a natural flow to how things move, and usually you get more textured movement with that. And when I was young, I was just doing the pose-to-pose because I was intimidated by the straight-ahead, and I was terrified of trying to do dialogue like how do you know how to do the mouth shapes you got to look in the mirror how do you sink it how do you know when their mouth goes to the side and so I thought you know what I don't want this to be a weakness I'm it it is a weakness now I'm going to attack it and I did I attacked it I hit it hard I did nothing but dialogue test after dialogue test after dialogue test and then I conquered it and it's my favorite thing to animate now and so the same thing with overlap like you have hair on a character or a cape Mm-hmm. You can't chart that movement. That has to be, that has to be done straight ahead, and it has to be done after the characters figured out. You have to roll your drawings, and that terrified me. Again, I like. I don't want this to be a restriction on my work. I have to conquer this. So I attacked it. I did test after test after test with a cape, with hair, and then it got to be like I love it so much. It acts. It adds texture to your um, animation. I would never design a character without an overlapping quality because it just makes that it's a little bit of eye candy so i conquered it so i take that uh, same approach into story where i had to learn that cinematic language i attacked it i attacked it i watched my movies and i feel really comfortable with it now and then i saw well god where can i make where where can i improve i have to look at my own work and be critical of it well I can compose a shot okay but i'm not like a rock star at it i want to be a rock star at it so that's kind of my current one right now is I'm looking at movies where shots are composed beautifully. I'm doing screen grabs. I trace over those um, screen grabs. I, I blacken in um, silhouettes. I want to really understand what makes a composition uh, strong because I want mine to be, I, I want people to look at my work and go, oh my God, that guy's amazing. So it's just whenever you can 
see a weakness in your own work, which is hard to do. It's hard to be critical of your own work, but you got to try to do it and then don't be intimidated by it. Just attack. If you're weak at something, hit it really hard. Um, just hunker down and, and, and roll your sleeves up and work really hard and conquer it. And then it's kind of empowering. Mm-hmm. Man, that is amazing advice like that. And again, painted the picture so well where um, I can trace exact parallels in my own success and just, man, that's really good stuff. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So the next lot, I think the next logical question here is how did you groom yourself to go from uh, a board artist into a director role? Yeah, it was funny because at Disney Feature at, at the time, it seemed like the director jobs were going to animators. Um, and once I got into story, I even myself, I was thinking, hmm, it seems like more natural. The animation in a Disney movie is going to be fantastic no matter what. The crew is seasoned and they're really great and the tradition is there. It seems like a director should be a story artist. So, And the more I got into story, it seemed like, well, yeah, you, you have to know story. You have to know staging. You have to know how to reveal information to your audience. And then the industry started going more that way anyways. Yeah. So I got... Um, when I finally was getting really confident in my story work and then I got um, like a head of story position, I was working with a director. She was female and then she was kind of asking me, what's it like to be a parent? You know, isn't it great having kids? And I'm like, hmm, what's going on with her? And it turned out she was pregnant. She was getting ready to start a family. Oh, wow. So when she left, I just got on my soapbox and said to the producers, I, I want to take over the show. I want to be the director when she leaves. And she gave me her blessings she wanted it for me too and so that was my first chance and I got it and then um so I was directing on a show and I thought all right this is an opportunity I do not want to blow this I want to be a director from now on and I worked and this is when I had wife and two kids I stayed at work until three or four in the morning not occasionally almost every night because I had scripts to read to go over I had storyboards to go over I had animatics to go over but I didn't want this you know maybe being poor that's kind of it it growing up poor gave me this hunger in my career where I knew if I have an opportunity, I can't let it go by. And I don't know when I'm going to get another one. I have to take, I have to make the most of this. So I worked really hard on that show. I, and I'm very proud. It was a show called the replacements for Disney. Oh yeah. And I'm really proud of how my episodes came out and I never shipped a show late. And, um, I was very responsible. And then, you know, look, you're always learning in your career. When that show ended, all I got was like, here's your end date. You know, just like all the other artists did. It's not, not not any different. And I didn't get a show to direct immediately. And I was really bitter about it. And I was jealous. And I was looking at other friends who were getting opportunities that I felt like I deserved. And I was in a really ugly place. And I didn't like being in that ugly place. And I had to go back down to, I was even doing board revisions. And, and it was um, humiliating. But I had to be humble. And I had to realize that, you know, you just, you're never done proving yourself. And I was in this um, spot that I didn't like. And I, I don't like being jealous of other people. And I don't like uh, being bitter. So I thought, well, you know, look, I still, I bought my Disney desk when um, 2D, um, when Disney stopped doing 2D. And yes. I have the desk at home. And I yes. thought, why am I being jealous? I Look, I'll work during the day because I have to pay the bills. But I have a desk. I can animate whatever I want. The sky's the limit. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's fate or if I don't know if I believe in fate or anything, but I, I run into John Newton, who played Superboy in, in the 80s. And um, I introduced myself and we hit it off. And he's now one of my best friends. 
And at that, this is when I was going through all that stuff. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to animate like a Superman, like the way I, I would love to see Superman, like in the World War II era with Art Deco buildings, Clark wearing a fedora, much like the Fleischer Supermans. But then the Fleischer Supermans, the, like the costume was a little off model from what we all know Superman's costume to be. And they kind of had the wimpy Clark Kent, but not to the extent that Christopher Reeve really nailed it. So I'm like, I'm going to animate it kind of with the Fleischer look, but with the Christopher Reeve influence. And I'm going to take the music from the Kirk Allen series. I'm going to like it, this whole bowl of like, like everything I love about Superman and put it in one thing. And then John Newton, before I even finished my pitch to him, said, I'll do the voice for you. And it was like, oh, my God, I'm going to have like a real Superman <laughs> do the voice. Yeah. And I spent a year animating this um, Superman thing on my own. And it was like all of that ugliness, all of those jealous feelings, they all went away. It was the greatest thing. It was therapeutic. I was no longer jealous of anybody because I thought, in my mind, I'm working on the best project in town. I can't be jealous of anybody. This yeah. is the coolest thing. <laughs> Superman classic. And it's funny. I don't know. Like, I, again, I don't know if I believe in fate or karma or anything. But once all those, like, negative feelings went away and I felt really good, then my career took off again. I got other directing um, opportunities. And so, again, my advice to anybody else who's like going through career struggles like we all go through and maybe you're jealous or maybe you're frustrated that you're not where you want to be, turn it around. Try to do something positive out of it. Um, um, I said, you know, passion is what inspires people and, and do like your own film or take all of that anger and that rage. A lot of those Superman drawings were done with a, a I'll show you attitude. You know, a lot of them are done <laughs> with really angry, angry yeah. um, emotions. But I poured it into something positive, and I see how, like, I'm a big Beatles fan and how, like, wow, a lot of the Beatles songs are about, like, love and, and peace, and, like, there's such a positive message. And I think passion is what inspires people, and, like, a real positive message inspires people, which, which is, a, like, a thing that frustrates me. It's a little side note, like, with Superman is so dark and grim in the movies now, and I really think they're getting away from this positive message is, is what inspires people. Yeah. So that's my that's kind of my my thing to tell any artists that that are struggling. Just try to turn it into a positive thing. And I, I think positive things will come out of it. Yeah. Um, and you did say that the uh, those because now I'm sure everybody is like, I got to see these Superman shorts because there's two, isn't there? There's two. Yeah. I did. Yeah. Superman and, classic and then a follow up Bizarro classic. Yes. And that was just as awesome. So where just can you remind people if where yeah. they can find it? Please look for them. They were a lot of work and um so you got to have people see them. So they're all on YouTube. I have a channel that's Rob Pratt um where 2D animation is not dead. If it's if that's hard to remember, just type in Superman Classic, kind of like Coke Classic and and you'll find them. Um I've done a Flash Gordon one in the same kind of era, that 30s era. And, um, and then I thought, well, you know, I, I've done some cover songs. I got to do some originals. Now I'm doing Carman, the road rage antihero. And that's my own guy who's just a pissed off guy in his car in Los Angeles. Hopefully it'll make you laugh. But all those animations are on there. Um, Carman even has a Facebook page. And you can go there and see, like, pencil tests. You can vent about road rage experiences. I, I put road rage stories on there. I take photos of people that park like jerks. Um, and I post them on there. It's so I think it's a fun place. But um, all of this stuff is there. There's Instagram and 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 um, to look at these shorts. And I post even just pencil test and works in progress. I am kind of thinking that with Carman, you know, it's it's a struggle to get a new character out there, and the views aren't 
you know, what they are with Superman. So I thought, well, I'm going to continue Carman. I'm dedicated to Carman. I have like seven minutes animated of him, and I'm going to do like clean up and color one minute at a time and have seven little one-minute episodes that serialize together. But I mentioned like, like I love the Beatles, and I'm thinking, well, well, an early Beatles record, half the songs were cover tunes. So I think in between these Carman episodes, I might try to mix in a cover tune. So I'm giving a lot of strong thought to Indiana Jones right now. So I yes. might be doing an Indiana Jones classic to kind of go with my Flash Gordon classic and Superman classic. Yes. Um, so if this is stuff that I, I look, it's a lot of work. I would hope people would watch it and dig it. Um, I'll be posting, you know, works in progress of Indiana Jones pencil tests um, all along the way. So what's great now is it's not even just about the final product anymore with Superman classic. I worked on it alone for a year where only close friends saw what I was doing. Well, now we're in this age of Instagram and Facebook and having to constantly have posts. So with Indiana Jones classic, I'll just once in a while put an Indiana Jones pencil test or, hey, here's a drawing of what I think Indy's new girlfriend is going to look like in this episode. Or here's a background. Here's what it's going to look like. So there'll be little updates all along the way. So, um, yeah, please go to my channels and Instagram and and check them out. Awesome. And when people search for you, it's Rob with two B's. Right. Yeah. I had to kind of cartoon my name up. Right. Yeah. My, and since Pratt has two T's, I'll, I'll put two B's on Rob Pratt and maybe that'll make it uh, more memorable. I, I think it works. I mean, that's how I remembered how to find you. Oh, after, great. It worked. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, man. And I'm so glad you went to Carman because I was actually going to dive into that because I've, I've been watching and keeping up with it. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, man, it's 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 all good stuff, and I appreciate the tutorials that you post. Those are all all really fun. Yeah, that's a big part too for anybody who's struggling as an artist, even if you're a pro or you know students trying to break in. I thought, how what's the hook? How am I going to get people to look at Carman? They're not going to do a search like they do for Superman. So I you know I even looked into getting like Mark Hamill to maybe do the voice, and I found that you know I'd have to register it with SAG, and there was a lot of um, restrictions, and um, it was just like a thread that. I was just going to keep pulling and pulling and pulling. <laughs> yeah. So I thought, well, I'll just keep my voice on it, but how am I going to get folks to to look at it? And I thought, well, okay, I'll put tutorials with it. So there will be seven Carman episodes in total, at least. That's if, you know, if it takes off, I'll do more. But at least there's going to be seven. And so with each one, the price for you to watch is just uh, you get to, there's a tutorial. So, you know, please watch. And you'll learn about animation. And I, I'm structuring the tutorials to not just be animation. It's the whole process if you want to make your own short film. So the first one is already up, and it's about story. The next one I'm going to be posting in, in the next uh, maybe two or three weeks. And that one will be um, focusing on design and color. And then I'll go through the whole spectrum. The ones after that will be, you know, you'll get into storyboarding. You'll get into animating. You'll get into um, compositing, um, voice recording, how you break down the voice track so you can animate it. Um, and they're all really short and tight, so easy to watch. And, um, you know, I even have robpratt.carman at gmail.com. And you can even send in questions if you're like, hey, I know your next tutorial is going to be on animation. Can you cover like this or can you cover that? And I'll take those into, into consideration for the tutorial. So hopefully it's a thing that goes back and forth between me and anybody who kind of wants to tag along for this fun ride of still kind of looking at how 2D was made. And those 2D principles help even in CGI. So they, they apply to everything. Man, this is awesome. And exactly what the Animation Network, this whole podcast, everything I've created is all about that kind of, you know, that general, like, educational share, like that right. that culture of, like, let's just all get 
better and yeah. inspire each other and all that kind of thing. So That's this is great. A, yeah, great way to go out. And I can't believe this already has just flown by. I really only have two questions left for okay. you. Um, so one of those questions is, um, what sort of things do you do outside of work to keep your um, creative mind feeling fresh? Right. Well, yeah, it's always important to have balance in your life. And you always want to, in any social situation, have something in common with somebody. So like, I love baseball. And that puts me in a certain circle of friends now that I can talk baseball with. Or if I'm at the DMV in line, you know, there's somebody that maybe they look like we don't have anything in common. Oh, oh, but you're wearing a Dodger cap. We can talk about baseball. Mm -hmm. So it's good to like, you know, baseball. I love old um, music like Sinatra and stuff. That's the music my mom would play in the house when I was growing up. So to like that retro music, well, now there's a suddenly there's a new group of people I can talk to, maybe older folks that we have something in common. So it's good good to have all these um, different interests. So baseball, music, I even play softball. Nice. And then just loving um, cartoons and movies and um, finding things that you're passionate about, things that you wake up in the morning and you can be excited about. There's so many things in life that can bring us down. So it's just finding things that are like, wow, what's really fun about life? And there's a couple cartoons that I can put on. Eight Ball Bunny, directed by Chuck <laughs> Jones. It's a Bugs Bunny cartoon. And um, there's a Porky Pig one called um, Porky's Bear Facts. Those are my two go-tos. If I'm ever feeling jaded or depressed or angry or frustrated, those are two cartoons I can put on. And I just smile and I laugh out loud. So it's finding those things that you're just passionate about that make you happy. Man, that's good. Um, actually, and that kind of rolls into my next question, which I think will have a slightly different answer, but good segue is um, when you think about the span of your career and all the different facets that you've done, um, what inspires you to still bring passion to the job every day? Yeah, I constantly try to inspire my board artists and anyone working with me that we're in the entertainment business. Our job is to entertain. Like That is so fun. So why would you ever just do anything cookie cutter or by the numbers? There's so many jobs. Like our job is relatively new in the in the grand scope of the human experience. Mm -hmm. We've only been doing this for like 100 years. And humans have been on this planet for like 10,000 years, I think, according to, you know, what, what scientists you, you listen to. <laughs> yeah. And um, in only in the last 100 years, there's this job now where you can like do animated cartoons and it's fun and what a privilege every day to be able to do it. So why ever just go through the motions? Like entertain. If there's a, a moment between two characters, make it as fun and entertaining as, as humanly possible. I just went on a trip uh, to Vancouver where I got to go on an, a, a, a kind of like a rope bridge. It's a, a suspension bridge. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And while I was walking over this suspension bridge, it made me think of like, wow, Lucas and Spielberg had this kind of thing to work with for the climax of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And what did they do? Like, they looked at that bridge. What can we do on this bridge? Well, we're going to have, like, short round. We'll, like, stomp on it and break through. And then there's alligators <laughs> under his feet. And then we'll get our hero, Indy, in the middle. And there's going to be bad guys coming on from either side of the bridge. Indy's going to cut the bridge. It's going to break. And now it's a vertical thing where he has to climb up it. Like, that is taking a sequence and not letting any opportunity slip by. They mm -hmm. milked it for everything. I watch it, and I can't think of an idea that they missed. Mm -hmm. And that's what we should do as entertainers. If you get a sequence, if you're animating on it or if you're boarding on it, if you're doing color on it, 
like don't miss an opportunity make it as entertaining as possible we're making these for ourselves yes we want to make ourselves happy but think of your audience it can't just be for you it's got to be i love making people laugh when i watch a cartoon with my kids and they laugh at a gag that i added that's like the greatest reward <laughs> i've ever gotten so when you get a sequence yeah. be passionate about it take it and, and it's an opportunity don't miss an opportunity and have fun with it and and when you watch it don't look back with a regret going well i could have made that better but i was going i had a doctor appointment or i was uh, i was busy like i want to look at the sequence and go like i gave it my all on that and and um not regret it yeah yeah and that is good and that absolutely applies to all facets of the process i mean people who are painting backgrounds like yeah. let us get lost in that world i mean that's why those art of books you know are yeah. so popular is yeah. because people love all of the artwork not just oh did you see how that character moved across the screen right which which obviously is why we're watching it to watch it move but everybody's part like the voice actors talk about giving your all right yeah. i mean those those uh guys and girls don't phone it in like because because you can tell you That's can tell right. when they're phoning it in. So, yeah, I, that is amazing advice to, um, to to leave the audience with. In fact, especially for the last episode, the last interview, like that, I could not have asked for a better way to, to wrap that up. Man. Oh, thank you. I'm great. completely honored to be part of it. Thank you so much for including me, Chris. No problem. Um, so I guess there's nothing less left to do but to let you um, get on, on your animated way. <laughs> <laughs> thank um, you. Yeah, no problem. This has been so amazing. I can't thank you enough, and I'm so excited to continue working near you with all your energy and positivity and uh, creative gusto. Oh, thank you, Chris. And thanks yeah. again for including me, and thanks, everybody, for listening to this. I hope you uh, came away with some inspiration, and um, thank you. Yeah, thank you, man. I'll, I'll be sure to pick your brain some more soon. All right. <laughs> All right, thanks. All right, thanks. That is it, friends. I hope you enjoyed the very last interview featuring Rob. Um, please be sure to check out all of his links and videos, which I've included in his episode description. So you, can, um, you don't have to memorize all the links that he gave because you can just go find them and click directly to those pages. Um, and as always, I can't thank you enough for all the listening and sharing and rating the podcast over the years. Um, really, you guys send the most flattering email testimonials about what we've done for you. And it's just been an amazing, tremendous ride. Really makes it hard to put the Animation Network to bed, but it's that time. Um, couldn't be more grateful, and we hope that you enjoy the last episode, episode 100, when you get the chance to listen after this one. Um, and as always, thank you so much for tuning into and being part of the Animation Network. Mm-hmm.